0: Hey, uh, I am so excited to be back together with you guys. I hope you had a great break, Uh, maybe got a little rest. I don't know, I didn't get any rest at all, but that's okay. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited for what I think God has for us together this semester. We've got a lot of great things planned. Um, Yeah, and so I'm just thankful that you're here. I'm thankful to be here with you. Uh, I love this. And so here's what I want to do. I want to jump in tonight, and I want to start with a little thought experiment. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to show you in just a second, I'm going to show you three different pictures, three different images, three different people. And as you see these people, I want you to to think to yourself, what, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when you see these people, right? It's not a trick, not a joke. Just think to yourself, don't say it out loud, please don't say it out loud, what comes to your mind, okay? Good? All right. What comes to your mind when you see Barack Obama? Got it? Okay, good. What comes to your mind when you see Taylor Swift? Some laughing. I don't know why. (laughs) Okay, next one. What comes to your mind when you see Jimmy Fallon? What comes to your mind? Got it? Okay, so so here's 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 why I'm doing that. Because I, I know that there are lots of different things that we could say about all three of those people, but what I want us to think about is is the reality that, that what comes to our mind when we see different people, what, what comes to our mind when we maybe even hear their names, in some sense at least, is what these people are known for. It's what they what, what comes to our mind when we see people, what comes to our mind when when we hear their names, in in some sense, maybe not totally, not completely, but But in some sense, it's what these people are known for. Okay, now now let's switch up the experiment. Imagine for a second that the very next picture that I put up on this screen, on those screens, is a picture of you. It's a picture. Your picture's up here. Your picture's up there. And now I'm going to ask the same question to this group. I'm going to ask, what comes to mind when you see this picture? What comes to mind when we see a picture of you? How would people answer that question? How would people answer the question? What comes to mind when they see a picture of you? In other words, when people see you, when people hear your name, what is it that you're known for? What is it that you're known for? See, I don't know if it's because we're beginning of a new year, beginning of a new semester, that, that it's easy to kind of be contemplative, reflective in, in, in these kinds of moments. But, but that question, what, what am I known for? That's a question that personally I've been reflecting on myself lately. What am I known for? Let me ask it a different way, though. What do you want to be known for? If you had to answer that question honestly, realistically, of course, what is it that that you want to be known for? Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe it's a, I want to be known for something someday. What's that someday? What, What is it? What do you want to be known for? What do you want people to associate with you? See, anyone paying attention, it's interesting, anyone paying any attention to your generation, Gen Z, knows th- that, that you, at least in broad terms, broad terms, not holistically, broad terms, you guys want to be known for all sorts of things, right? You want to be known for, for making a difference in the world. No longer is it okay for, for, for us to sit back and, and not do anything. You want to make a difference, You also want to be known for being educated. You are the most educated generation in the history of the world. You also want to be known for celebrating diversity. No longer is it acceptable to not celebrate diversity, diversity of thought, diversity of people. You want to be known for being tolerant, being accepting of others. It's cliche, but you want to be known for living your best life. You want to be known for being true to you. Now, of course, my generation, millennials, and, and Gen X, and, and boomers, and, and on and on, we all have our own lists. There's some overlap, but there's some other. We all have our own list. Here's what's really interesting, though. All these studies, all this research, all this service, you know what never comes up on any of these lists? Never comes up on, on any of these lists about what do we want to be known for, the word holy. Nobody ever says, you know what I want to be known for? I want to be known for being holy. And yet that's exactly, that's exactly what God wants. Not, of course, for just your generation, for every generation, for all people. God wants us. God wants me. God wants you. He wants us to be holy. This is what we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, picking up in verse 13. Peter says this. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, as followers of Jesus, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I'm holy. We're kicking off a new series tonight, and it's a series that we're calling Different. Different, why? Because to follow Jesus, especially in a culture that largely doesn't, right? In your context, especially in college, especially this time of your life, to try to follow Jesus in a culture that largely doesn't, it's going to require us to be different. That's what the Bible, different people it's going to require us to have a different perspective, especially on, on, on our hardships, on our trials, on our, on our sufferings. It's going to require us to, to have a different purpose, to live differently in this world, in this culture. And so to get things started tonight, we see that God is calling us to be a different kind of people. A, a people, he says, to be holy. Why? Why does God call us? Why does God call his people to be holy? Because he says, I'm holy. He is holy. God is holy. And so Peter says, we as his, his words, obedient children, we too should be known for, we should be Holy. Now, if that's true, if God is holy, and, and that's what God wants for you and me, that, that's what God wants for all of his people, he wants us to be known for being holy, then we've got to ask the question, what does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? Now, I'm not naive. I know in a room this size that that, that word holy, we, we've all probably heard it, but my guess is as many people are in this room are different definitions about what the word holy means. Some of us, because of our context, because of, of maybe our backgrounds, the way that we grew up, we hear that word holy, and we associate it with, with perfection, right? So, so we hear God's holy, and what God wants for you and me is he wants us to be holy. We hear that, that God is perfect, and so what he really wants from, from all of us is, is to live perfect lives, Maybe others of us, we hear that word holy and, and, and we start thinking about, about rules and, and rule following. Holiness is, is something that, that is, is related to just mere and, and, and maybe even strict rule following. And often because we can't live up to that kind of standard, we certainly can't live up to God's standard, that, that rule following, we fail, we, we, we don't succeed. And so then, then what we start to assume is that, that holiness is equated with judgment, Right? Holiness becomes a negative thing. But it's interesting because that's not really what, what the Bible says about holiness. That's not really what God is, That's not what Peter's even getting at in, in, in these verses. That word holy, it might sound confusing, it might sound super religious or churchy or whatever you want to say, Christian ease, but really it's just a word that means set apart. Holy means set apart. Holy means different. And so when Peter says in, in those verses, when he says, but just as he who called you is holy, just as he who called you is set apart, God is different, so you be holy, set apart, different in all you do. For it's written, I'm holy, so be holy. Be holy because I'm holy. You see, that's what, what God is getting at here. He's, he's saying that, that as his children... As his people, that's what we're to do. So we're to be set apart. You and I, Peter says, we're, we're to be different. But again, what set apart from who? Different from what? Well, I think it helps to at least have some context for these verses. So, so let's, let's do this. Peter, right, Peter's writing those verses, what we just read. Peter, if you don't know, Peter's one of Jesus' closest friends. He's called a disciple. The Bible also calls Peter an apostle. That's just a word that means sent one. So so what Peter is given, he's given uh, the unique task of of telling the world about Jesus, telling people about Jesus, who Jesus is, what his relevance to our lives is, particularly after Jesus dies. That's what Peter as an apostle is sent to do. And so 1 Peter, it's a letter that we have written by Peter. It's, It's written a couple thousand years ago. It's a New Testament letter written a couple thousand years ago. And Peter, he's writing to a group of people. We see this in chapter one. We don't have time to get into it. But he's writing to a group of people that he calls exiles. In other places, he calls them aliens or or sojourners. In other words, these people that Peter is writing to, these verses are, are written to a group of people that are outsiders. Now, why are they outsiders? Well, because as it turns out, this is a group of Christians who have been kicked out of their home. They've been kicked out of Rome by the emperor Claudius, the Roman emperor Claudius, and sent and scattered out throughout uh, surrounding cities. And so they're kicked out of their home. They're, they're sent to surround, surrounding cities. They're, they're forced to leave what was familiar. They're forced to leave their security. They're forced to leave their, their safety. They're, they're forced to leave the comfort of their home, what's familiar for the largely unfamiliar So all of a sudden you have this group of people, they're in new cities, new places, new homes filled with new people, and it was strange. It was strange, but it was more than strange. It was hostile, particularly hostile to their Christian faith. And so this is who Peter's writing to. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to followers of Jesus living in a hostile culture, a culture with different beliefs, a culture with different values, a culture with different ways of living. And so when Peter writes these verses, he's writing to encourage them. He's writing to encourage them to to be holy as God is holy, to be set apart, to be different than the culture around them. Now, of course, we weren't alive 2,000 years ago, and so Peter's not writing to us. We are not the direct audience of Peter, but, but he's writing for us. Meaning that, that you and I, his words, we can put ourselves into that category obedient children. If we're people, if we're people who claim and are following Jesus, then, then what Peter is saying is that your life, my life, our lives, these verses apply to us. We should look different. We should be set apart in some ways from the culture around us. But there's a problem. There's a problem. Kevin DeYoung, he's a a pastor. He's also an author. He wrote a great book called The Hole in Our Holiness, and he puts his finger on this problem. I want to read this quote. He says this. He says, the problem is clear. Too few Christians look like Christ, and too many don't seem all that concerned about it. The problem is clear. Too few Christians look like Christ, and too many don't seem all that concerned about it. And he goes on in this book, he goes on to say that there's a gap. There's a gap between our love for the gospel, the good news of, of who Jesus is and what that means for our life. There's a gap between our love for the gospel and our, our love for godliness. Godliness is just the idea that we're living in a way that reflects who Jesus is. And so maybe to simplify, he, he's saying that there's a gap. We say that we love Jesus, but, but oftentimes our lives, they don't reflect that love. We say that we want Jesus, but, but oftentimes we live like we want other things. Now remember he's talking to Christians here. Right? He's he's kind of going after it's a strong statement. He's going after Christians. And if you'll let me push just a bit and, and know that I'm pushing because I care about you, because I want what's best for you, because I'm so convinced that that, that Jesus really is more and that this stuff really is true and, and that Kevin DeYoung is right, I, I think, I think he's on to something. See, this semester marks my the beginning of my 15th year working on staff with Veritas. I know that that probably doesn't seem real. It is real. I'm old. I've been working with college students for 15, 14 years. And, and, and in my own experience, being a college student here in Columbia, at Mizzou, and, and working with, with college students, with, with you for the better part of the last decade, I, Kevin DeYoung is right. There's often, there really is often a gap. There's a disconnect. We say that we love Jesus, but we act and live. Like, that's not so much true. We, we sometimes say that we want Jesus... But then we kind of act like, well, I just want this part of Jesus, or I I, I just want that part of Jesus. I don't don't want the whole Jesus, because the whole Jesus makes me a little bit uncomfortable. So we we kind of pick and choose what parts of Jesus that we really want to follow, what parts of Jesus that, that we really want to love. Sometimes we, I say we, we act like, like actually following him with, with our whole selves, with our whole lives, with our whole minds and hearts. We, we act like, like pursuing him is optional, like, like God isn't actually all that concerned about our holiness. But of course he is. He is. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us. God chose us in him before the creation of the world. Why? What? To be holy. God chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. You see what those verses are saying? They're saying that, that, that God chose us before the creation of the world, before the world was ever uh, existing, a figment of anyone's imaginations, God chose us to be holy. God chose us to be, he didn't choose us because we were holy, we didn't exist before the world existed, he chose us so that we'd become holy, holiness is the goal, that's who he wants us to be. If that's not convincing enough, go go to 2 Timothy 1. This is what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Paul's writing from, from prison. He says, rather join me, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us. God has saved us and called us to what? A holy life. Why? Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. It's not because of anything that we've done that God saved us. It's not anything that we've done that God chose us. It's not anything that we've done that God wants us, calls us, saved us to be holy. No, it's what he's done. First Thessalonians 4, 7 for God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. See, the point of these verses is that if you're a Christian, if you're someone that follows Jesus, the reason that God saved you, the very purpose for which God chose you, you, me, is to be holy, set apart, different from the culture around us. Not for our own sake, for for His sake. Now, if we're honest, it's a really different, maybe even radical message compared to the message that our culture gives us, isn't it? It's kind of provocative that that God would expect and want and ask of us this because that's not what our culture tells us. Uh, Again, DeYoung kind of hits the nail on the head. He says this about this message that our culture's telling us. He says, our culture tells us there's a good person in all of us. Ever heard that? We've been shown in a thousand movies that the purpose of life is to find the real you. We've learned from countless television shows that the highest calling is to believe in yourself. The world world most definitely insists on holiness. The world most definitely insists on holiness, being different, being set apart. Don't let anyone tell you that it doesn't, but, but, the world's holiness is not found in being true to God, it's found in being true to yourself. See, that's what the culture's saying. Holiness is not found in being true to God, holiness is being, is found in being true to yourself. I think a really great example of this, I've talked about her before, I'm going to do it again, is, is Glennon Doyle. Maybe you've read her book, Untamed. It's a New York Times bestseller. Maybe you've at least heard about it. Maybe not. It's all right, because I'm going to tell you about it. She tells this story in, in this book. She's having this experience. She's at a zoo, and uh, she goes to a cheetah exhibit, right? Everyone wants to see the cheetah. Uh, and she goes to this cheetah exhibit. And while she's at the zoo, at this cheetah exhibit, they, they, they let the cheetah out, and, and also a part of the exhibit is, is this vehicle, and, and attached to the vehicle, the back of the vehicle is a, a pink bunny, right? And all of a sudden, in this cheetah exhibit, this, this zoo vehicle, it just darts, right? Just goes. Pedal to the metal, right? Goes, goes, goes. And, and in that moment, that cheetah darts, chasing, it's, you know, this, this majestic, this powerful, this beautiful, you've ever seen a cheetah, it's almost breathtaking, right? It's just chasing after this truck and it catches this pink bunny and of course it doesn't eat the bunny because it's cotton, but when it catches the bunny, what happens? The zookeeper gives it some food and glennon doyle she's telling this story in her book she's saying you know i'm watching this and and the crowd's kind of going crazy because on the one hand it's kind of awesome but you know i just started i was weeping i was mourning i was grieving because this is not the way that it's supposed to be that cheetah should be out in the wild that cheetah shouldn't be chasing a pink bunny attached to a car it should be out in the wild chasing its prey using its power and its majesty and its beauty that's where it belongs she says, as she's having this experience, as she's doing this reflection, she, she says she has this, she she has this breakthrough. She's, she's having this experience, she has this breakthrough. She says, you know what? I realized. We're the cheetah. I'm the cheetah, she said. We're the cheetah. And the society, in the culture, and the world. Well, that's the cage. That's the cage. You and I, like the cheetah in the zoo, we've been conformed to the standards set by others, other people, other relationships, other institutions, other religions, you name it. We've been conformed by these these different things. And she goes on to say the only other way, the only way that we're really going to be happy, the only way that we'll really ever experience success is if we break out of the cage, We've got to break out of the cage. We can't conform to the standards set by others. Instead, she says we've got to look inside ourselves, be true to you. You see, she's saying exactly what Kevin DeYoung says, the culture's saying. Holiness. It's not found in being true to God. It's found in being true to yourself. It's found in true to being myself what we want, what I want, what you want, whatever we think is best. And so what we do is the culture, it tells us to live however we want. Talk however you want. Watch whatever you want. Hook up with whatever you want. Look at whatever or whoever you want. Don't be caged by rules anymore. Don't be caged by standards. Don't be caged, certainly don't be caged by God. You're too young. Go and live. Be true to yourself. It sounds really good, doesn't it? I mean, it does. We can say that. It's, that sounds kind of awesome. But here's the thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't last. Because that's not how God created us to be. It's not what God created you and me for. And he says that living however we want, if we want to live like finding happiness is inside of ourselves, if we want to live like it doesn't matter what God wants, then God says that there are going to be real, lasting consequences in our lives. A really sad, genuinely sad example of this, there are too many to count, but, but recently is... Is Billie Eilish. Now, maybe you saw or heard about her interview with Howard Stern, I think it was early in December. It was, honestly, it's a hard, hard interview to watch, to listen to. She's talking about a lot of things, but, but one of the things that is particularly difficult is she starts talking about looking at pornography, pornography from the age of 11 years old. And it's interesting because Howard Stern has all these questions, right? And and, and she's she's talking about this experience and, and she's visibly upset and it, it's it's hard, you know, she's look looking at porn, it didn't free me. It didn't make me any happier. What what you see in this interview, what you read is that that no this porn, it it has been devastating to her. It has brought devastating consequences in her life. So much so this is this is what she says. It's pretty heavy. She said, I think it really destroyed my brain. And I feel incredibly devastated that I was exposed to so much porn. I'd watch abusive BDSM and that's what I thought was attractive. It got to a point where I couldn't watch anything else unless it was violent. I didn't think it was attractive. Unless it was violent, I didn't think it was attractive. Porn from 11 years old on. Now that's really heavy. Right? Sorry, this is, if this is your first time here at Veritas, please come back. <laughs> but maybe, but maybe, and I'm not trying to, you know, throw her under the bus. I mean, I, I, maybe we can learn from that. Maybe we can learn from her honest reflection. I don't know what she believed. Maybe we can learn from her honest, vulnerable, real Reflection that that maybe what we think we want isn't what we really want. Maybe looking inside of ourselves isn't where we're really going to find happiness and success at all. Maybe because of sin, that's just the Bible's word for for our rebellion against God and the the consequences that that rebellion has brought in our own lives and the lives of other people around us and the world. Maybe because of sin, we don't actually know what's best for ourselves. Have you ever thought, maybe you don't actually know what's best for yourself. Maybe, after all, God does. Maybe God does. Well, let me just say this real quick before I move on. Because I know that, that sharing a quote like that is, is heavy and it's hard. And I know some of you right now feel pretty, pretty terrible. I, I know that you hate the pornography that you can't stop watching. I know that you regret the mistakes that you've made. I know that when it comes to sex, when we start talking about these kinds of things, that that a lot of you, you feel dirty, you feel rotten, you feel hopeless. I am not saying any of this because I want a single person in this room to feel hopeless. That's the last thing that I want anyone here to feel. I'm saying these things, and if they're especially hard, I want you to hear this. I'm saying these things Because I want you to know that there's real healing, that there really is real freedom. I want you to find real rest. I want you to hear this, that no matter, no matter how entrenched you've become in certain habits, certain sinful patterns, no matter how hopeless your situation feels, your situation is not without hope. It's not, whatever is happening right now, it's not without hope because with Jesus that's what we're here for right with Jesus there's hope of cleansing with Jesus there's there's hope of power with Jesus there's hope of transformation with Jesus there's hope of holiness with Jesus there is hope for you and for me you see I know that it might not always feel like this but this is true 2 Corinthians 5 17, Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. In Jesus, the new you is here. In Jesus, you are a new creation. This is true of you. That's who you are. If you follow Jesus, a new creation, that's hope. See, there's actually a sense, as ironic as it is, there's actually a sense in which that statement, be true to you, it's right. But the you in, in, in be true to you that's right, it's not the you that you are by nature because that's sinful. No, the you that's true and be true to you is the you that you are by grace, by what God is doing in your life. You are a new creation that's who you are. Be who you are, a new creation. That's who you are in Jesus. And so when we, when we start talking about holiness, it doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be overwhelming. It doesn't have to be uber churchy. When we, when we say striving for holiness, striving to, to live differently for Jesus' sake, it's not something that we have to do because we're just following rules. It's not something that we have to do just strictly out of obligation. It's not something that we have to do out of fear because we're afraid of of, of what could happen. It's something that we get to do. It's something that we do because of who we are. We strive for holiness because we belong to God. That's why we strive. Now, notice I say strive, right? That's because being holy, being different, being set apart, it's not easy. It takes work. It, it takes work. If, if anyone has told you that, that following Jesus is going to be easy, if you think that following Jesus is going to be easy, then, then you've not really met Jesus. You've not really heard about the real Jesus. You might not actually be following Jesus if you think following Jesus is easy. Colossians 3.5, Paul says this. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, Whatever's earthly in us. That takes work. It takes work to put to death, to kill the sinful habits, the sinful patterns, the things that go against God. But that's what God is calling us, who put those things to death. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight. That's the description of what it is to be a Christian. That's the description of what it is to follow Jesus. It's a fight, and so we've got to fight the good fight. It's not easy. 2 Peter 1.5 Peter says, make every effort. Make every effort to follow Jesus. It takes effort. It's hard. It's not easy. It's uncomfortable at times. Jerry Bridges, uh, he once said this. He said, God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness. That's good news, isn't it? God has made it possible for us to walk in holiness, but he's given us the responsibility of doing the walking. God has made it possible, but he's given us the responsibility. God has made it possible, but you and I, we've got a part to play. We've got a role in the story. We've got the responsibility of doing the walking. And so I want you to ask yourself, the beginning of a semester, beginning of a new year, Are you doing the walking? If you're honest with yourself right now, is that you? Are you doing the walking? Now, don't forget this we aren't seeking, we aren't pursuing, we aren't walking after a thing, we're walking after a person. See, being holy is just another way of saying that we're running or, or, or walking or, or, or hopping or, or sometimes it feels like limping forward. But limping forward towards what? We're limping forward toward Jesus. See, what I don't want you to hear is that holiness is perfection. Holiness is not perfection. Holiness is progress. Meaning what's most important is not where you are right now in this moment. It's not where you are when you walked into this auditorium tonight. It's where you're headed It's not perfect, holiness is not perfection. It's about progress. It's not where you are, it's where you're headed when you walk out of these doors. So ask yourself, where are you headed? Where are you headed? Are you running or walking or limping toward Jesus? Or is it toward something else? Someone else, something else, anything else? Where are you headed? You see, what if this semester, I don't know, what if this semester was the semester that you became known for heading towards Jesus? What if this is the semester that, that finally you became known for heading toward Jesus? Not just a little bit, not just kind of here and there, not just half in, no, all in heading toward Jesus. Not with just your mouth or your social media, but with your life. Of course, not perfectly, right? We're not talking about perfection. We're not talking about walking after Jesus, heading toward Jesus without making mistakes. We're gonna make mistakes. But what if this was the semester that you became known for progress toward Jesus? How do we do that? Lots of things to say. Most of them probably cliche, but but here are just a few examples. If you're not in a small group, Alex is going to talk a little bit about small groups in a bit. If you're not in a small group, I'd really encourage you. It's one of the best ways to come alongside other people and head toward Jesus. If you're not in a small group, consider joining one. We'll make it really easy for you to do it. If you're in a small group, but honestly you just haven't come in a while, maybe it's time to start going again. Maybe you've gotten out of, out of the rhythm or, or breaks been hard for your Bible reading time. Maybe it's time to get back in God's word. Maybe you don't have a Bible and you want one. I'll buy one for you. Come ask for one. Maybe you don't know where to start. I'd love to talk to you more about it. Maybe you just need to spend some time seriously thinking about the things that you're running toward, walking toward, limping toward other than Jesus. What are those things? What, what needs to stop? In your life? What needs to start? Where do you need help? Who can you turn to? Who can you bring into for help? See, what would change? What would change if you really started heading toward Jesus? What would change about your life? What would change about the way that you think about school? What would, what would change about the way that you think about your job or, or, or maybe your future job or, or your reputation or, or your money or, or, or your free time or your sexuality? What would change if this community, not just individuals, but this community, we started thinking about holiness, being different, being set apart by and for Jesus? What if that's what you and we were known for? What would change If running after Jesus is what came to mind when they saw your picture, they heard your name, that's someone, he runs after Jesus, she runs after Jesus. See, my guess, and it's more than a guess because it's happened in my life and it's happened in hundreds of college students' lives that I've been around, my guess is that over time, Jesus is going to, if you run toward Jesus, if you limp towards Jesus, Jesus over time is going to change everything, everything for your good, and for his glory. Because that's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. The one worthy of every song that we could sing. The one worthy of all the praise that we could ever bring. The one worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. That's who Jesus is, and he wants a relationship with us, and he wants to bring change and transformation in our lives. Over time. Music team, you guys can go ahead and come up. Come back. Someone mentioned this earlier. I don't remember who, but a bunch of you know this. But but a bunch of us uh, got to go to Atlanta earlier this month. We got to go to the Passion Conference, and and uh, it was fantastic. Lots of great things came from the conference. But one one of the talks in particular, uh, one of the speakers in particular, uh, Jackie Hill Perry. She said something that I haven't stopped thinking about. And it's not the most revolutionary thing in the world, but it's just, it's been sitting with me. And, and, and this is kind of what she said. It's a paraphrase, of course, but, but this is the gist. She said, at a time when it seems like everyone your age, she's talking to, you know, if you were at Passion, what, 55, 60,000 college students in this massive stadium. And she's talking, she said, at a time when it seems like everyone your age, everyone your age, when it seems like everyone is leaving the faith, when it seems like everyone's walking away from Jesus, hold on to your faith. Run toward him, walk toward him, limp toward him. Why, because where else are you gonna go, she said? Who else has the words of life? Who else can save? Who else can heal? Who else can bring the transformation and change that you and I need? And of course, she said, no one. Because no one is like Jesus. No one is like Jesus. See, if I could encourage you at all tonight, let me say this, that our world, our culture, Columbia, Missouri, your your classrooms, your campus, your job, your friendships, wherever you spend time, your family, our world needs more of your generation known for living for Jesus. Our world needs more of of your generation magnifying Christ Christ. Our world needs more of your generation showing a broken world who Jesus is, more of your generation known for being different, known for being set apart, known for being holy because of Jesus and for Jesus. See, is that that what you want? Is that what you want? want? Is Is that what you want to be known for? Because that's who God created you to be, holy, because that's who he is. Amen.